Father, I ask this morning in your grace that you would open our ears to hear your word, that you would increase our knowledge of you and also our understanding. And that from that knowledge and understanding that You would make us a wise people. I ask that we would no less worship in Your Word as we have in song or in prayer. That we would know that it is by Your Word that You created all things. It is by Your Word that You sustain all things. Your Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. That as we study this morning, as we look at Your Word, we are, we are studying Christ, our Creator and Sustainer. Not just so we can have more knowledge of facts, but that our hearts might be enlarged in affection for Him, and that everything about us might be changed as we come to faith or progress in the faith. So I pray for that today. Pray for the miracle of salvation for those who may not know You. I pray for repentance where it is needed. I pray for sanctification in Christ. I ask that You would not take Your Holy Spirit from us, but You would move among us that we might glorify You I pray that You keep me from saying anything that is unhelpful. That You would open my mouth to say all that would be beneficial to point to You and for the good of Your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's really good to see everybody today. It's good to worship with you. Like Mike said, I thoroughly enjoyed that time of singing and not just enjoyed it in an entertainment sense, but was moved as we sang to the Lord together. We've been going through this series where we've been studying about God, His characteristics and has attributes. And one of the things that I want to remind us of today or, or maybe kind of speak specifically for the first time in this series is that as we are going through this, and we have a few weeks left, but as we've been kind of honing in on one particular characteristic of God each week, I want to remind us that we're not looking at parts of God that make up the whole of God. Rather, we are pointing at characteristics of God that He has revealed to us, and each one of them is a description of His divine essence. So what I mean by that is this. God is not part holy and part love. But when we say God is love, we mean the entire essence of the being of God is love. When we say God is holy, the entire essence of the being of God is He is holy. And because the Bible tells us that God cannot deny Himself, that means that in everything God does, in every act of God, He is always true to who He is. So when God judges sin in righteousness, He is not laying aside love. 
And when He picks up, or, or excuse me, when He loves us, He's not picking up love and laying aside His righteous judgment. He is always acting out of who He is. Every single attribute in the essence of His being. And that's hard for us to understand because I think, especially as believers, all of us know that we have those times where we come to this realization that we were just thinking in a way or acting in a way that is not in line with our nature. So we say to ourselves, you know what? That's not who I am. The way that I acted just now, the way that I, what I just thought, the way that I reacted to that person, that's not who I am. That's not how I should act. God never does that. He never has to do that. He is always fully aware of who He is, and He is always acting perfectly in His character, never outside of His character. And the reason that I wanted to stress that to you this morning is because I think if we fail to remember that, if we fail to remember that God is always acting true to Himself in all of His character simultaneously, there could come a moment in which we get disillusioned with God. Because in a moment, we may think God isn't moving the way that I want Him to. God is not moving the way that I would expect Him to. And we get focused on one attribute of God. So for example, we have an enemy who has hurt us. And we don't see justice in that moment. And we think, why is God not moving in justice to correct this person or this situation that has harmed me? Because we're focused in that moment on just one attribute of His character. Rather than the fact that God is also merciful and kind and loving. Or maybe we have a moment where there is something that is happening in our life and we are in pain and we are in suffering and our thought is, if God loved me, would He not remove this? If God loved me, would He not answer this prayer that I'm praying? And we may forget that there are things that God is doing in our lives that's in line with all of His attributes. Often when you and I pray, we're praying with a circumstance in mind, a situation in mind. That's where our focus is. We want God to move in that circumstance. We want God to move in that situation. We want Him to do something, to bring justice, to deliver us. Just this week, I had someone tell me, someone who is really struggling right now, being disillusioned with God and and their word to me was, well, if God is love, it seems to me that this prayer I prayed would have been an easy one for God to answer. So, is God love? Yes. He is love. Which means, in every act of God, every one of those actions, His behavior is coming out of the essential character that He is love. But what else have we learned about God? God is love, but God is also what? Gracious? Kevin preached this to us last week. And what Kevin taught was in God's grace, He doesn't leave His people in the sinful condition that He finds them in. 
That out of His grace, out of His love, He is changing us into the likeness of His Son? Sometimes change, and for God to bring change to us, sometimes that's painful. Sometimes that's not pleasant. How can God possibly do this? How can God change us into the likeness of His Son? Well, remember, we studied He is sovereign. Which means God is fully in control of every situation. And He is always acting in accordance to the counsel of His will. And in your life, in His sovereignty, He takes every single circumstance of your life and He works it to your good. And what is your ultimate good? It's your sanctification. It's increasing you in Christ-likeness. So God loves us, and in that love He is gracious to us, and in His graciousness and sovereignty He is changing us and molding us into the image of His Son. Sometimes that isn't pleasant. You may even say, you may argue with that, and you may say, well, what fault in me needs to be changed? What is God trying to do in me in this situation? I don't know of any faults. Well, of course we don't. The Bible even says, who can know their hidden faults? There are things that need to be worked out of you and I that we are aware of, and there are things that need to be worked out of us that we are not aware of. But what did we study? God knows everything. God has all knowledge. Remember what we talked about? God knows everything that has happened. He knows everything that will happen. And He knows everything that could happen. He knows what could happen in your life if He doesn't work something out of you. And so I'm just trying to get us to remember that what God is doing in our life where we may get focused on one circumstance and say, God, why are you not moving in the way I expect you to move? Do you not love me? Are you not just? God's always acting in His character, all of His character. In His knowledge, in His love, in His grace, in His sovereignty. He is acting in your life. And if your only focus is getting deliverance out of the circumstance, then you're going to miss what He's doing. You may come to a place where you doubt Him. You may come to a place where you are discouraged. You may come to a place where you are frustrated with Him. Because He's not moving in this. And yet God says, I am moving in you. I'm moving in you. So church, my message starting off today is not, don't pray for deliverance from hard circumstances. I think we should do that. I think we should pray expectantly. And here is the expectation from Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, the Lord delivers him out of them all. Expect that when you pray. But go further than just expecting deliverance from the circumstance. Remember, Ephesians 3 says God is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine according to His power that's at work in us. So we can not only expect that God will deliver us out of our affliction, but we can expect that He will do it at the right moment and in the right way to maximize His glory and to give us the benefit 
of being molded into the likeness of His Son. Be willing to trade a tough circumstance, enduring in a tough circumstance for a season, if it means Christ-likeness. Be willing to make that trade. Agape, while you wait for deliverance from your affliction. I don't know what it is. I'm willing to bet every one of us in this room, we have something. Something we wish God would deliver us from. Something we wish He would do. Pray about that. Pray expectantly. And while you wait, remember what I'm about to tell you what I have the amazing privilege of standing before you today and saying to you. Remember, God is faithful. God is faithful. War against anything that comes to your mind that brings that to doubt. War against anything that comes to your heart that makes you question whether or not God is faithful. War against that. Because He is faithful. This morning we were singing. I was just caught up in the emotion of one line in one of those songs that just brought me back to a place that I was in when I was a kid. So far from Him. And I've said to you many times, but I will keep saying it as long as I can. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that makes sense about my life and about me standing here and getting to do this except one thing, the faithfulness of God. His mercy, His grace, nothing else. And I want every one of us at Agape to be able to say that and to actually say it. There's nothing, nothing that makes sense about my life except God is faithful. He will do all that He has said and He will not fail you in anything that He has promised. That is what it means that He is faithful. That is your life truth this morning if you're a note taker. God is faithful. What does that mean? It means He will do all that He has said and He will not fail you in anything that He has promised. Exodus 34, 6, when God answered the request of Moses, show me your glory, and God passed by Moses and declared His name to Moses. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness is an essence an essence, an essential characteristic of God. In Joshua 21, I love this passage. When Israel had taken the promised land, when they'd come out of Egypt, they'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, Moses had died, Joshua had led them in, they conquered the land. In Joshua 21, when the Lord had given to Israel all the land that He had swore to give them, and, and they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers, not one of their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. And look at this, this verse. 
Or listen to it from verse 45 in Joshua 21. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Not one word had failed. God is not like anyone in this room. He is not like anyone in your life. People have lied to you. They have broken promises to you. And the hard reality is you have lied to people and broken promises to them. God is unlike that. He is faithful. Not one word of what He says will He fail to do. He will do it all. He is faithful. In this life truth, this definition that we're using, God will never fail you in all that He has said, and He will will do all that He has said. He will not fail you in anything that He has promised. It's important to point out, we're not saying that the faithfulness of God means He will never fail you in your expectations of what He will do. We are not saying that in all of your requests, God will answer them just as you prayed for them. Because as we started today, there are sometimes bigger things that God is doing in His goodness in your life. That means that request may be delayed or over time that request may change. We are saying that God is faithful to do all that He has told you He will do and all that He has promised. So that leads us to a question. In what manner does God make promises to His people? When we say that God is faithful in everything that He has told you, in all the promises He's made to you, in what manner does God make promises to His people? I want to start by telling you that I believe God does give personal assurances to His people. Individually. What I mean by that is, just as the Word indicates that every believer has certain gifts that God allocates to them personally, certain good works that God plans for you personally, certain days that God has ordained for you personally, I think there are certain assurances that God gives us that He doesn't give to others. He's working in our life corporately, but He's also working in our lives individually. There are certain things that we can look in His Word and we know He has willed for all of us, but there are certain things that He has willed for each one of us individually. And I believe along with that, sometimes sometimes God gives individual believers personal assurances. My biblical example of this is Simeon from Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we meet this man named Simeon, and we are told that he was a man who walked with God, and he looked to God, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And this was before Pentecost. This was before the Holy Spirit was given to all of the church. But the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and he had a very specific desire. He wanted to see the comfort of Israel. He wanted to see the Messiah. And there were many Jews who wanted to see the Messiah. They had been longing for Him. For generations and generations, there were many people in the day that Jesus was born that were longing to see the Messiah. 
But what we learn in Luke 2 is that God had saw fit that this man, Simeon, would not die before he did have the opportunity to see the Lord's Christ with his own eyes. God did not plan that for every person in Israel in that day. But He planned it for this man, Simeon. And not only did God's providence ordain for that to happen, but we also learn that God had chosen to give an assurance to Simeon that this would happen ahead of time. He told Simeon by personal revelation from the Holy Spirit, according to Luke, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. That promise was not made to everyone. It was made to Simeon, though. And by the providence of God, because he is faithful, Simeon was in the temple when Mary and Joseph brought the infant Jesus to be presented to God according to the Old Testament law. We don't know how, but Simeon knew this was the Christ. And he took him, and he held him, and he looked at his face, and he prayed this, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. The word Simeon was talking about when he said, you're going to let me depart in peace in line with your word. Yes, he was talking about the Old Testament and the promise of the Messiah, but I believe he was also talking about the personal promise that God had made Simeon. I will let you see the Christ before you die. That's one example that I will give you of many that are in the New Testament where God gave certain people individual assurances of things that would come to pass in their life. It must be said, some of those assurances were about positive things and positive experiences. Some of those assurances were about difficulties and trials that were going to come upon them. But God gave personal assurances to its people, and I believe God still does that. I believe that God can give each of us, if He chooses, personal words of assurance. I think when that happens, we need to put it in the category of New Testament prophecy. In other words, it should be tested. New Testament prophecy is not like Old Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy is not perfect. If it was, we'd write it down and treat it like Scripture. It's not. It can be surrounded by error. There can be an error from the person as they hear it or as they receive it or as they give it to someone else. But what God tells us to do is receive New Testament prophecy, test it by His Word, test it by prayer, even test it in the community. And I think if we feel like God has given us a personal assurance, that's how we should treat it. So how does God speak to us? Sometimes, personally. Personal assurance. We should be very careful to not too quickly claim that God has given us a promise. We need to be careful about that. We need to test it. But I also think we must be very careful to not reject that work. That sometimes God does give individual assurances to His people. So that's one way. But what I want to share with you this morning 
is there is a way that God has promised us certain things that we can be absolutely assured of. That we don't test, that we don't question, and that is the written promises of His Word. In God's Word are precious promises for His people. These are promises that are given to all of the church corporately and applied personally and individually to every believer. They are corporate promises and individual promises. And when you see these promises in His Word, I want you to know God is faithful to do them in your life. There's not a question about it. He will do what He has said. So what are some of these promises? In your notes, if you're a note taker, I picked out six of them. Six promises. These are certainly not all of them. But six promises that you can be guaranteed in your life, God will do what He has said. Number one, God is faithful to save you from your sin. God is faithful to save you from your sin. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. There's no exceptions to that. There is no, but you don't know what I've done. There is, but you don't know these hidden sins that I deal with. Or you don't know where I came from. There are no exceptions to this. It is not simply confess Jesus. Church, there have been many who have confessed Christ by repeating a prayer that they did not mean in their heart. And they feel confident because they repeated something and said it out loud. The name of Jesus is not a magic word that we speak. Salvation is believing in your heart that you are a sinner and you are in need of a Savior and that you are separated from God because of what is in you, but that He has sent Christ to die in your place and He has been resurrected from the dead. And all you can do is then say that Jesus is Lord because you believe it so deeply. Don't you know that things that you love and things you're convicted about, you eventually talk about it? It can be something as silly as where you think the best pizza on earth is. You will eventually talk about that. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you will confess it with your mouth. You will confess that He is the Lord of not just the world, but of your life, and you will be saved. That is a guaranteed promise from God. Secondly, God is faithful. To save you from your sin, He is faithful to sanctify you in this world. Sanctify is a, right, a big church word. It's a biblical word. It means to cause you to be more like Jesus. To cause you to progress in the faith. It's what Kevin talked about last week. When you are saved, God doesn't leave you where He found you. That's not what love is. Love isn't just leaving someone where they are. Love is helping them to progress. God knows how to help us progress. He will sanctify you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
verses 23 and 24. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you, church, completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's there. That is a beautiful blessing that God would sanctify us and that with His sanctification, our whole spirit and our soul and our body would be kept sound and we would be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus. Think about what that means, that when Jesus comes and you stand before Him, you are blameless. You are not guilty. No one can bring a charge against you. No one will say anything on that day that will make Jesus turn from you. You will be blameless before Him. That is beautiful. How does that happen? How do you know that will happen for you? Here's the rest of the passage. God who calls you is faithful. He will do it. You will be blameless before Christ. You will be blameless before God. Not because you do it. Because He does it. That is your promise from God. That if you delight in Him and you are saved, He is sanctifying you. There's times where that sanctification will be a joy and there is a time where it will feel really hard. But He will sanctify you and you will be blameless before Jesus and that is His promise to you. Bank on it. Number three, He will guard you in temptation. He's sanctifying you, but you say... You say, well, what about all of this temptation all around me? What about this world that drives me to sin? There's so much that I see. I lust with my eyes that I want. There's so much that angers me. There's so much broken in me and around me. First Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, what you are able to bear. But with the temptation, He will always provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. God is watching your life. He sees what you are tempted by. It's very interesting that the promise isn't that He will remove all your temptation. I think... Even as mature Christ followers, sometimes that's just what we want. God, just take this. I don't want to be tempted by it anymore. I don't, I, don't, I don't even want to think this way. The promise here is not that He takes it, but He will allow you to be able to bear through it. He will give you a way out. No one will ever be able to say, God, I was in a situation and I could not do anything but sin. The Bible says, no, you had a way out. Sometimes we don't look for the way out. <laughs> Sometimes we just, we just want to go for what it is that we feel like doing. The promise of the Lord, though, is I'll give you a way out. I will help you. 
you will never be overcome by it. If you look to Me, if you pray to Me, if you have fortified yourself in My Word, if you have put yourself before Me, some of us, listen, it's, I do this too. Let's just be honest. We get up and we get going in our day. We have so much we have to do. And we, we don't pray. We don't get ready for the day in God's Word. We say things like I have said many times, I'm just too sleepy in the morning. And I'm not trying to be legalistic, but I'm just trying to say sometimes we get in the middle of our day and we are failing in sin and we're like, why? And it may be that we didn't prepare ourselves. We didn't look for the way out. God has promised He will guard us in temptation. He will help us to bear it up. What happens though when we give in? The next promise, God will forgive you in failure. We are going to sin. We are going to give in to temptation. We're not always going to look for the way out. And we have a promise that God forgives His people even in their failures. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why does it say that God, when we, convince, when we con uh, confess our sins, why does it say that when we confess our sins, that He is righteous to forgive us, means it is right for Him to forgive us? Because of the cross. Because He's already poured His wrath out on His Son for that sin that we just committed. So it is righteousness for Him to forgive us when we confess. Because Jesus has already paid the price for it. Man, that's beautiful. And He is faithful. There's not a time where He'll get tired of you confessing your sin. There's not a time where He rolls His eyes and says, Really? Again? Didn't we just do this two minutes ago? He's faithful. If we endure, Paul told Timothy, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. What does that mean? It means there will be some who will deny Christ. They will turn from the faith in apostasy, and they will deny Jesus. And that is a scary place to be. Because the Bible says He will then deny that person before His Father. But there is apparently a way in which Christians can live that is not denying Christ, but is faithless. Where we are not faithful to God. Not because we have denied Jesus, but because we are giving into temptation and we are openly rebelling against God. And sometimes that may be for a moment, and sometimes it could be for a season. And what is God's promise to His people? Even when they're faithless, He will be faithful. If you are in this room today, and you haven't had the perfect road of salvation, that you came to know Christ, but you've had times where you have fallen, and you've stayed down for a while, and you've gotten off that path, but you have come back, it is not because of you. It's because He has been faithful to you.
He will forgive you in failure. And He is faithful, the fifth one, to protect you from the devil. God is faithful to protect you from the devil. There is a world that we can't see, a spiritual realm that we cannot see. It's not just the temptation that's all around us. It's not just our failures, but there is an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy us. If you really believe that and you ponder that for a little bit, it is quite frightening. That there is someone who opposes God and he opposes God so much that he opposes God's people and he would do everything he can to make them fall and destroy them and if he could, kill them. What is our hope? It's the promise of God. He will protect you. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Psalm 91.4 God will cover you with His feathers. You will take refuge under His wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. The faithfulness of God is a shield over you as you walk, as you lie down, as you sleep, as you go to work, whatever you are doing, it is the faithfulness of God that is a shield about you to guard you from the evil one. He promises to do that. And God promises He is faithful to keep you forever. It's the best news of all. What if, God? What if? I belong to You, but what if I wander one day? What if I go astray, God? What if I fail and I can't get up? What if? And the promise of God is my people I keep. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. I've been here for almost 20 years in August. I've been preaching here since 2006. I've been the lead pastor for five years. There's a few hills that I have said I'm willing to die on There's a few that I'm willing to plant my feet on, even in things that we disagree about among brothers and sisters in the church. But one of them is this. God is faithful. He perseveres His people. He keeps us. If you belong to Him, He will keep you. No one will snatch you from His hand not even yourself. I believe that with all my heart. It's the only thing about my life that makes sense. If it was up to me, I would have wandered from Him multiple times, and I would not have come back. He is faithful. That promise doesn't lead you to say, well, I could just, all right, cool, I will go do what I want. No, you then don't have the mind of Christ because It's not about just doing whatever you want because He'll keep you. It is about God is going to keep me. He is faithful to me. So with everything in me, I want to be faithful to Him. George Mueller 
I've given you this quote so many times over the years. <laughs> I've put it in so many handouts. But I think it's about as powerful as a quote from a man that you can get. Be assured, if you walk with Him and you look to Him and you expect help from Him, He will never fail you. Not to preach the quote, but George Mueller says, God's faithfulness is assured. Our responsibility is walk with Him. Obey Him. Get in His Word. Let His Word get in you. Do what it says with everything that you have. Not because you're trying to earn salvation, but because you have salvation. Walk with Him. Look to Him in prayer. Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Look to Him. Expect His help. Expect Him to help, help you. Be patient. Even when, he, even when it's taking a long time, don't stop expecting Him to come through. Hold on because He will never fail you. That was the promise from Hebrews. What Mike read where we started this morning. Verse 23. Church, hold fast the confession of your hope. It means that. Hold on to it. Don't let go of your confession that Jesus is Lord and God is God and He is faithful. Don't let go of that. Even, even in your affliction, even in your suffering, even when you're having to be patient, waiting on deliverance, hold fast the confession of our hope. Why? Why should you do that? For He who promised is faithful. The faithfulness of God is the hope of the Christian confession. The faithfulness of God is the hope of the Christian faith. Oh, church, if you put faith in yourself, that is shaky ground. Put faith not in yourself to remain in Christ, even though you are commanded to do that. Put your faith that you can remain in Christ because God is keeping you in His faithfulness. Don't waver. Bank your life on one thing. God will do what He has said and He will not fail in anything He has promised. Look at those connecting verses in Hebrews 10. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope for He who promised is faithful. Look at the preceding verse. Draw near with a full... Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If you're holding on to your confession, you will be continually drawing near to God. In prayer, in the Word, in communion, in worship. Look at the next verse. Next two. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Another sign that we're holding on to our confession and trusting in the faithfulness of God is that we continually gather with His people. And we gather to encourage one another. I said it. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm hitting all my, my great hits this morning, but 
There is no picture in the Bible of individual Christianity. If you are living individual Christianity, it's one that you've developed on your own. That doesn't mean community is easy. It is not. It means we're called to it, though. We're called to it. And don't you believe that God is good? And if He's called you to something, it's for your good? Won't you bank on His faithfulness that if He is saying to you, stir one another up to love and good works, don't stop neglecting, excuse me, don't stop meeting together, don't neglect that, don't you believe He is faithful? He is telling you something that is for your good. Hold on to your confession. Draw near to Him. Don't neglect one another. Agape, what is your need today? Do you need to call out to be saved? Do you need to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess that with your mouth? If that is your need, don't leave here today without talking to somebody. Find me before you leave. Talk to Kevin or Sam, Josh. Talk to someone and say, something in my relationship with Christ is not right, or I just know it's not there. He is faithful to save you. Maybe that's not your need. Maybe your need is you need to ask for strength to not give up because what God has shown you in the last few minutes is that there are seeds of doubt in your mind whether or not He is faithful. And maybe they're small seeds right now, but if those small seeds are not dealt with, they will grow into a bitter vine. If you know today that you are doubting the faithfulness of God, pray about that. Even confess that to someone. Maybe we need to repent because while God has been faithful to us, we have been faithless to Him. Maybe we just need to talk about His faithfulness. Maybe we need to sing about it. Or we need to pull somebody aside and just say, look, I just got to share this with somebody. God has been so faithful to me, and I have to tell somebody how faithful He has been. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to ask you to not check out because we're getting ready to end the service. I want to ask you to respond to God in whatever your needs are. There's going to be some prayer partners over to my left. I'll be standing here. If you want to talk about your relationship with Christ, come find me. If you want to pray for somebody to help you in your doubts, if you want to pray with someone because you sense faithlessness in you, if you just want someone that you can share with about the faithfulness of God, that's what the prayer partners are here for. Or you may not need to talk to anybody right now. You may just need to stand and sing or kneel where you are at the altar and thank God for how faithful He is. How oh, He's faithful to us. Bank your life on the promises of God. He will never fail you. Amen.